We read together from Psalm 65, page 580 in your Bibles. Praise awaits you, our God, in Zion. To you our vows will be fulfilled. You who answered prayer, to you all people will come. When we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. Blessed are those you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. You answer us with awesome and righteous deeds, God our Savior, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the turmoil of the nations. The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders, where morning dawns, where evening fades. You call forth songs of joy. You care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain, for so you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its riches. You soften it with sours and bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty and your cards overflown with abundance. The grasslands of the wilderness overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks and the valleys are mantled with grain. They shout for you for joy and sing. Thanks be to God. The New Testament lesson is from Ephesians chapter 4, the first 16 verses, which is on page 1175 in your Bibles. Hear God's word. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ." 
Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. May God bless to us the hearing and the understanding of God's holy word. A few summers ago, I preached at the Midway Presbyterian Church in rural eastern North Carolina. It's the church where my father grew up. Now he's buried in the cemetery out back next to my mother and across the way from my grandparents. Midway isn't all that different from any other rural church in America. It's small, less than 100 members, and like every congregation, large and small, it's got its strengths and its weaknesses. When someone dies, the members shower the family with food and with love. They have fundraisers that are as much about having fun as they are about raising funds. Until recently, they'd have an in-gathering every autumn. The men would stay up all night tending a fire pit where they cooked several pigs and the next day, people would come from all around to feast on succulent barbecue and the pies and jams and homegrown vegetables that the women had prepared. They've had to adapt to changing times. The men of my generation really didn't find much fun in staying up all night tending to cooking pigs. And the women had other demands on their time, so... Now they have a catered roast beef dinner and talent show as their fundraiser. They worry about the same thing most other churches worry about, having enough money to fix the roof. What's going on with those members who've stopped attending? Where do we find the right people to teach Sunday school? The Sunday I preached was a scorching hot day in August. The church is air-conditioned now, but even at 10.30 in the morning, you broke a sweat walking to the sanctuary from the side of the road where you parked your car by the cotton field. But that heat did not stop Miss Carrie Mae Smith. Miss Carrie Mae was 102 years old at the time. She had been my grandmother's best friend. She was right there with her after my father was born back in 1924. And Miss Carrie May, every Sunday morning, was right there on the front pew of the Midway Church. After the service, I went down to speak to her. I was told I had to get up really close and shout in her good ear. And she looked up to me and she said, I can't hear or see anything nowadays, but the Lord knows I'm here. 
Well, Miss Carrie Mae lived to be 105. And the church was a lot of things to her. It was a place where she could get out of the house. It brought back warm memories of times gone by and the people she had loved. The members of the church looked after her. They would check in on her every day or so, drive her to her doctor's appointments, to the grocery store, to church. On that hot August day, she was there to support her friend Effie's grandson who was preaching. But more than anything else, she was there because the Lord knew she was there. She was part of the Lord's church. And that's where she belonged. The New Testament speaks of the church as a body. A body is something that lives and grows. Something of which each part is an organic member. Miss Carrie May knew that the words of Ephesians 4.16 were for her. From Christ, the whole body is joined and knit together by every ligament with which it's equipped. When we are baptized, we are joined as part of that body. And each one of us has a part to play in strengthening and sustaining it. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 says that Christ has given us gifts to do that work. The gifts he gave were that some should be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity to the full measure of the stature of Christ. Christ gives gifts to the body. Now, we who come here and take part in the life of the church get a lot from being involved in it. But it's up to each one of us to make the church stronger because we're part of it. One of the things your deacons are doing right now is putting together a new program that's going to help each member of IPC connect your gifts with the needs of the church and the community. They're setting up a database that's going to be able to connect, say, a person in need of transportation to church or to the doctor's office with someone else who's willing and able to drive if someone has a special gift of listening or, or prayer, this uh, program of the deacons is going to connect th that person with someone who's in need of support. There'll be a whole list of ways that you can offer up your gifts and skills that God has given you to build up the body. And you'll be hearing more about that in the weeks to come. But it's not just for this congregation that God joins us to the body of Christ. It makes a difference in your workplace, your neighborhood, your school. It makes a difference that you are part of this body. When I visited Ghana several years ago, one of my hosts was Reverend Amposa. Reverend Amposa and I spent many hours together 
around tables sharing meals and in cars driving to visit various congregations. I was a guest in his parsonage where he lived, a simple house with mud walls and a dirt floor. In a few years, he was going to retire, and he was concerned about how he was going to support himself. For his entire ministry, he had lived in homes owned by the churches he served, so he had no place to call his own. The Presbyterian Church of Ghana had no pension plan, and his meager pay had left nothing to save for retirement. During the course of one of our conversations, he told me that he had declined an opportunity to be chief of his tribe. When the previous chief had died, he was next in line to assume that role. But in his tribe, one of the responsibilities of the chief was to make sacrifices to the ancestors. And Reverend Amposa told me, I could not do that and serve my Lord. One day we visited a chief's home and I realized how much Amposa had given up. This chief lived in the center of a medium-sized town. His home was a compound with an iron gate protecting it from the street. We were led inside the compound for our audience. And when we entered the courtyard, surrounded on all sides by two-story buildings with enormous shade trees protecting us from the hot African sun. There were three late model cars parked there in the courtyard, one a brand new Mercedes. And not only was this chief a man of wealth, he was a man of power. Nothing in that region happened without his approval. Later in the day, uh, we met with the mayor of the town and he was awaiting the chief's approval before he went ahead with an expansion of the local school. As we sat in the throne room off the courtyard waiting for our audience, I realized what Amposa had given up. But instead, he had been given gifts for the building up of the church. His gifts were visiting the sick, teaching children, encouraging the poor, and a faith that he could not compromise. A lot of people see the church as one more choice in a vast array of service providers. Patrick Kiefer tells of a man in a church where he once served as pastor who expressed that view probably a little more forthrightly than most. This man's wife had recently recovered from a long illness. The man said to Kiefer, I appreciate the good things you have done for my wife during his illness. You've helped her cope with this crisis and given her a sense of security. And the effect on our son is on the whole quite good. He's an insecure boy. He'll outgrow the religious myth and retain the moral instruction." Well, we do receive lots of good things from the church. Friendship, instruction, inspiration, moral instruction. But in the end, the church is not about meeting the needs of my family or me. It's about Jesus Christ. He is the reason we are here. He calls us to himself 
and joins us with each other. We are the prototype for what he's doing with all creation, reconciling all things to himself. He gives us many gifts through his church, and then he sends us out into the world to invite others into the body. I know a congregation that prides itself on being a friendly church. They're in a thriving subdivision, and they can't understand why their membership is shrinking. They can't understand why people come to visit them, and then they go away never to return. After all, it says on the sign out front, a friendly church where all are welcome. Well, what they don't realize is they're friendly to each other to their friends and their family. They're so wrapped up in their relationships that give them comfort and security, they've forgotten that Christ has given them all that friendship and security to give them strength to do his work. And part of that work is welcoming strangers, reaching out to others, making room for new people around the table of the Lord. That's something IPC is especially good at, as you would expect from a congregation with so many expatriates and transient families. The challenge for any congregation as it enters the second or third generation of its life is how to nurture the long-term friendships that have come to mean so much without new people who are looking for a new church home feeling left out. A dynamic church is always aware of that tension between caring for old friends and welcoming new ones. Now, every body, as long as it lives, has times of weakness and illness. And the church, being a body, has times of stress, of sickness, of poor health, One of the most recent and most serious is that scandal in the Roman Catholic Church involving clergy abuse and subsequent cover-up. That's been a serious blow, not only to Roman Catholics, but also to all of us who are part of Christ's body. 1 Corinthians says that if one part of the body suffers, all suffer. And all of us have been harmed by scandals. Not only has the Catholic Church had to cut back on the number of people who are helping the poor and teaching the gospel, people who may have been ambivalent about involvement in any part of the church have been turned away. But just as a human body is more than the sum of its part, more than a collection of fingers, feet, some hair, a couple of ears, the church is more than the sum of its faults. It's Christ's body. And that body is not on its way to the grave, but on its way to eternal life. Now that doesn't mean we can take the strains and stresses on the body lightly. The writer of Ephesians knew that. In Ephesians 4.14, he warns, we must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming. 
That's why IPC's commitment to Sunday school and adult education is so important. Why it supports ministries like VBJ that help university students integrate their secular learning and their, the teachings of scripture. We're always looking for ways to strengthen the body so it can withstand whatever stresses come its way. This body of Christ, his church, provides a place where we can explore God's truth, where we can speak the truth to one another in love whenever we disagree. And disagreements take place. I mean, we live in a city which 500 years ago was uh, the center of one of the biggest disagreements in the history of Christendom. And all you have to do is look at the variety of churches there are in the world to see how many different ways people have of interpreting the truth of Scripture. The very most important discussions about morality take place in the church because here we have the framework to talk to each other in love and in respect. Ever since the Council of Jerusalem that's described in Acts 15, when the apostles gathered to discuss the controversial question of whether or not Gentiles should be included in Christ's church, ever since then, the church has had to deal with disagreements and differences about how we interpret Scripture. The biggest controversies nowadays are also about who's included in the body of Christ and what roles they play in its leadership. Many churches are still trying to resolve the place of women in leadership roles in the body. Many are wrestling with the place of gays and lesbians, whether they can be leaders in the church or have same-sex marriages blessed as sacred covenants. The unity of many churches has been broken over issues like those. But many congregations, some of which I've been involved in, have made sure that those conversations are held respectfully, guided by love rather than judgment, and doing all they can to maintain the unity of the body of Christ. The churches I've seen that have had controversial conversations in a healthy way have taken lots of time, much of it spent in prayer and guided by the example of Christ's self-giving love, not the desire to win over a brother or sister in Christ. That's one thing that makes the church a reflection of Christ. We may disagree, but when we're at our best, we disagree within the constraints of love. We're the body of Christ, a body that's still growing to maturity, that still does things that are clumsy and ill-considered and alternately amusing and disappointing to our heavenly parent. Sometimes we trivialize Christ's body. Sometimes we treat the church as if we own it. But this church is not ours. We aren't here for ourselves even though what we get here is life itself. We're here because we belong to Christ. He's claimed us in the waters of our baptism and in the blood of the cross. That's why Miss Carrie May was on the front pew 
every Sunday. She belongs to Christ. That's why Amposa lives in a mud-walled house and not a chief's compound. He belongs to Christ. That's why this congregation is here. We belong to Christ. We may be a work in progress, but we are his work, his body. To him be all glory, honor, and praise, now and forevermore.